Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy, and I am sitting here with Steve and Andy on this fine, fine Wednesday morning. Steve is back from vacation. How, how was it, Steve? It was gorgeous. Uh, my wife and I, we celebrated our 11th anniversary a little earlier. Nice. Uh, last year, obviously, you know how to do math, right? Last year was the 10th, and we were going to celebrate kind of in a big way, but then COVID hit, so we couldn't really go away anywhere. Right. So we made up for it this year. It was beautiful in the Okanagan. When I was there, you know, it, one of those moments when I realized I'd been taking BC for granted. Mm, right. You know what I mean? So You, you snuck in there uh, before the uh, major restrictions, like, clamped down yet again. Yeah. Yeah. So, in and out. Yeah. <laughs> well done. By the way, I've got to ask on this. It, the weather has been gorgeous in British Columbia. Uh, we've been... But I think what we hit Troy like twenty six something yeah. like that. Yeah, it was twenty six. Now for you Americans, you know that's that's creeping up on on eighty degrees. What uh, now, Steve? I rumor has it it has snowed in Alberta. I can confirm this. So on the way back, so we were there from Wednesday, and then Sunday we drove back. Uh, by the time we hit Banff, it was snowing. Uh, thankfully, the snow didn't stick right on the road, but it was covered in snow everywhere. It melted away pretty quickly, but it's pretty common to see snow in April. Um, we've we've had cases where apparently I wasn't here for this, but we even had snow in August in you know some days, some years, and so this is surely this land is meant for desolation, but people live here anyway. <laughs> well, regardless, it's uh, it's good to have you back, Steve. And uh, you came back with uh, with a doozy of a topic for us this week, and uh, I definitely agree that it's fitting, um, you know, given given the last forty eight hours, as we saw that Derek Chauvin, the officer who knelt on George Floyd, causing his death, um, was uh, officially convicted of all three counts against him, and he will be serving a very long time in prison, and and so. You know, there's a there's a lot of relief for a lot of people there, and so you, this this topic that you have brought to us today, um, it is fitting, and I think there's a lot of layers to it. So I'm excited for us to get into it. Why don't you uh, why don't you take away, Steve? Yeah, I, I came across this on my newsfeed on Facebook and some other places, and um, I think this really caught on. So uh, Many of our listeners probably have heard about this already, but it's about the prayer that's found in A Rhythm of Prayer. It's a book put together by Sarah Bessie, but there is a particular prayer in there called Prayer of a Weary Black Woman by Dr. Shaniqua Walker-Barnes. And this one uh, really stirred some controversy here because of what, what it says or what people perceive that it says. So, um, Troy, I think you, you have the prayer there with you. Do you want to kind of read through that just to give our listeners what this prayer actually is? Yep, for sure. Prayer of a Weary Black Woman by Shaniqua Walker-Barnes, PhD. Dear God, please help me to hate white people, or at least to want to hate them. At least I want to stop caring about them individually and collectively. I want to stop caring about their misguided racist souls to stop believing that they can be better, that they can stop being racist. 
I'm not talking about the white antichrist allies who have taken up the struggle against racism with their whole lives. The ones who stand vigil for weeks outside of jails where black women are killed, who show up in Charlottesville and Ferguson and Baltimore and Pasadena to take public stand against racism and police brutality who are so committed to fighting white supremacy that their own lives bear the wounds of its scars. No, those aren't the people I want to hate. I'm not even talking about the ardent racists either, the strident segregationists who mow down nonviolent anti-racist protesters, who open fire on black churchgoers, or who plot acts of racial terrorism hoping to start a race war. Those people are already in hell. There's no need to waste hatred on them. Perhaps, however, you can make sure that they don't take the rest of us with them, that their attempts at harming others are thwarted, and they don't gain access to positions of power. My prayer is that you would help me to hate the other white people. You know, the nice ones. The Fox News-loving, Trump-supporting voters who don't see color, but who make thinly-veiled racist comments about those people. The people who are happy to have me over for dinner, but alert the neighborhood watch anytime an unrecognized person of color passes their house. The people who welcome black people in their churches and small groups but brand us as heretics if we suggest that Christianity is concerned with the poor and the oppressed. The people who politely tell us that we can leave when we call out racial microaggressions we experience in their ministries. But since I don't have any relationship with people like that, perhaps they are not good use of hatred either. Lord, grant me then the permission and desire to hate the white people who claim the progressive label but who are really wolves in sheep's clothing. Those who've learned enough history, read enough books, spent enough time in other countries to make themselves seem knowledgeable, even though that knowledge remains far removed from their hearts. Those whose unexamined white supremacy bubbles up at times. I'm not expecting it when I have my guard down and my heart open. Lord, if you can't make me hate them, at least spare me from their perennial gaslighting, white mansplaining, and white women tears. Lord, if it be your will, harden my heart. Stop me from striving to see the best in people. Stop me from being hopeful that white people can do and be better. Let me imagine them instead as white hooded robes standing in front of burning crosses. Let me see them as hopelessly unrepentant, reprobate bigots who have blasphemed the Holy Spirit and who need to be handed over to the evil one. Let me be like Jonah, unwilling for my enemies to change, or like Lot, able to walk away from them and their sinfulness without trying to call them to repentance. Let me stop seeing them as members of the same body. Free me from this burden of calling them to confession and repentance. Grant me a get-out-of-judgment-free card if I make white people the exception of your commandment to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. But I will trust in you, my Lord. You have kept my love and my hope steadfast even when they have trampled on it. You have rescued me from the monster of racism when it sought to devour me. You have lifted up my head when it was low and healed my heart when it was wounded. You have not given me up to slavery or to Jim Crow or to the systems of structural oppression, but you have called me to be an agent of your ministry of justice and reconciliation. And you have not allowed me to languish alone. But you have lighted the path towards beloved community with the loving witness of the ancestors, elders, and sojourners who have come before me and who stand with me today. Thus, in the spirits of Fanny and Ida and Paula and Ella and Septima and Coretta, I pray and I press on in love. Amen. All right. So um, it, as you can kind of imagine, right, the first half of it, half of that prayer, really stirred up a lot of controversy because right from the get-go, it's shocking when you hear, Lord, help me hate white people. And now she goes on to kind of, you know, 
qualify what kind of white people that she's talking about. But before we get into all of that, just want to hear your reactions, Andy and Troy. Like, what, what, what did you hear? What did you see in this? I mix reactions when I read something like this. And the reason I say mixed reactions is because when I first heard this, the thought that went through my mind was, oh, well, it sounds like a precatory psalm. It sounds like the sorts of psalms that are genre psalms or psalm, genre of psalm, in which, you know, the, the psalm writer is just crying out to the Lord in brutal honesty and at times, you know, calling for things such as violence towards their enemies, you know, right. that, that uh, I think is shocking for some people when they read in the Bible um, a precatory psalm. So I would say that that is on the one hand, I'm thinking, oh, well, there's, there is precedent for that sort of, you know, raw honesty before the Lord. But then on the other hand, I'm thinking to myself, uh, this isn't quite that either. And that there's, uh, that there are some serious concerns that I have about this prayer that really saddens my heart for its author. Yeah. What about you, Troy? Honestly, the first thing I thought when I read it was just like, man, she's broken. You know, this is, this is from a, I believe it's from an honest place, but it's from a painful place. And that's why it's worded the way it is. Um, it's hard to, it's hard to read the longer I went reading it, the more I'm just hoping that it's going to take a turn. You know, there's going to be some, uh, a level of repentance to it. You know, there's going to be a point where she gets, where she says, this is how I'm feeling, but I know this is not who Christ is. And so I know that this isn't Christ's love. So free me from these feelings so that I can love these people as you have loved, as, as you have first loved me. However, I, I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge and recognize that this is where some people are at. This is where some people are at. This is, you know, the lengths in which they've been pushed to um, <laughs> in and outside of the church. Um, I'm not saying that's right in any way, shape, or form, but um, I, do, I do recognize that pain and trauma is a real thing, um, specifically in the black community with all of the, you know, things that have gone on. And, you know, so I, I do acknowledge that absolutely. But my prayer obviously is that we can grow, we can heal, that people can reconcile and ultimately be restored, um, for the sake of, you know, for the sake of the gospel, people need Jesus. What has been your experience like growing up? I mean, the reason I ask this is because for those listeners who are maybe tuning in for the first time, right, um, they may not know what we look like. <laughs> and, and so Troy is, um, if you don't know his story, he was adopted from Jamaica. So he's got that dark skin, right? And, and he grew up in Saskatchewan, like in the prairies in, in Canada. But at the same time, I don't want to assume that just because your skin is dark, your experience 
is all the same either. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious what your experience has been like growing up in the prairies where you are in this striking minority. Mm -hmm. What was your experience like? Honestly, it was, it was good. Um, but you definitely realize that despite the world being where we are today, I'm still a culture shock to many people in the prairies. You know, I, I got, you know, I got dreadlocks and right now it's in braids. And, and, you know, sometimes I would, uh, as a landscaper, I, you know, I might go out to a farm or I might go out to a, uh, you know, a suburb, a very suburban area. And the unfortunate reality is, is I look like some rappers on TV that are perpetuating some pretty awful things. And mm. so, you know, naturally people, they, they like to look at, you know, your clothing style or your hair or whatever. And they hold that up against the mirror that is Hollywood for them. And they make their assumptions. They make their opinions based off of what has been perpetuated. And often, you know, black people with my kind of style, they usually, they, they attribute them to gang members or drug dealers or just hip hop artists who are womanizers. So with that being said, growing up, there was a lot of like, you know, different comments. There'd be little snide remarks or things like that. There was constantly people making jokes about, oh, when the lights are off, Troy, we can, you know, make sure you smile so we can see you. And it's these microaggressions that she does talk about um, in her mm -hmm. prayer that I grew up dealing with a lot, even from own, my own family. You know, the, the like, wow, you're so dark comments. And it's mm -hmm. like one of those things for me where I'm like, well, one, I would never, why would I ever go and say, wow, man, you're so pale. Or why, you know, why, why would the nature of our conversation ever have to be based around how my, my skin color? And I genuinely believe, now, I can't speak for every scenario and say that no one was racist. I've definitely experienced it. But there's a lot of cultural ignorance just simply because of proximity. And there weren't a lot of black people in my neighborhood. There, were, there just wasn't. And if there were, um, generally where I grew up, they were Ethiopian immigrants. Mm. And so the people's perception of like, oh, if there's a black person here, he's really, really not from here. You know? Right. Um, I remember going into a McDonald's in Manitoba once. And I, I walked in and it was like, for people that know Manitoba, it is the Bible Belt. Very Mennonite community, German, a lot of Dutch. And so I walk into a McDonald's and I'm ordering my food and this nice lady wearing traditional Mennonite you know, uh, modest clothing walks up to me and in just the thickest accent is like, welcome here. And I was like, what? <laughs> welcome here. And I was like, thank you. How long have you been in Canada? And I was like, uh, almost 30 years. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, how long have you been in Canada? Oh, uh, 10, 10 years, <laughs> like, <Yeah>. cool, <laughs> welcome, <laughs> you know, but so it, my experience growing up, like it, it I, I genuinely have always been one of those people that give people the benefit of the doubt, almost to a fault sometimes, mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't terrible, you know, but I, ha I definitely had my instances where things, things kind of sucked. So then when you read this prayer, like, do you, can you resonate with it? Like, to a certain degree. Like, I resonate with it in the realm of I understand what she's saying. I understand where she's coming from. But where my walk is with the Lord, I can't champion this prayer. 
You know, if she was someone who came to me and said, Troy, this is what I wrote. This is what I've been praying about. I'd be like, wow, amazing for starters. But let's go a step further because you know this is not the Christ that we just celebrated on Easter. This is not the Christ that, that we claim to be one body with. And your brokenness, though valid, is not where is not where you should be willing to stay. And I think, honestly, the only issue, and people may give me backlash for this, even in the Black community, is that she is that published it. That it was published and okayed as like, we're just going to leave it here. And it's just not the message of the gospel. And I have a problem with that. Yeah, so Andy, you've been quiet for some time. What's going on through your mind? Well, first of all, I appreciate what you're saying, uh, Troy. And... Uh... And I, I agree. I agree with what what Troy's saying. I one of the things that's going through my mind is somebody who loves Jesus, and somebody who wants to see reconciliation. And and as you guys know, I'm an I'm an American, right? So my heart bleeds for America, and I, I'm like, I just see how divided they are. And so mm-hmm. when I see this sort of stuff being published, I think you have you have not helped the situation. You, you, this is this is not helpful. Uh, this is for somebody who's who says that they are seeking to help with 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 racism. I think this actually adds to racism, and and is incredibly problematic. So guys, I, so so first here that my heart just my heart so it just saddens me because I think if if this lady is a follower of Jesus, like. Her like it's it's interesting to me that like like you're saying Troy, there's no turn in this prayer, and even in her responses, in her and justification for it, there there is no there's no turn to to Jesus, and with regards yeah. to reconciliation. So I mean, mm-hmm. there like there are so many things that that can be said, and and I hope that we get to in this. Let me bring out one issue, guys, that I that I first of all that I think is really problematic. I, one of the reasons why I would say that this is not a, an imprecatory psalm, what I would say that this is an ideological mm. prayer. Yeah, mm. that's what I would. That's what what I would say. This is an ideological prayer. And and what do you mean by that? Yeah. So there's there's two things that I mean by it. And the first the first it reminds me of a, of a pastor that I used to work with. This guy was hilarious. I, I love him dear. His name is is Jim. Uh, many people know Jim. Jim is a jokester, and Jim was was always uh, pranking me. I wish I could tell you some of the incredible pranks this guy pulled on me. But one of my favorites that he would do to me is when I would come into his office, if he noticed that I was starting to come into his office, uh, he would start pretending like he was praying, and he'd be like, <laughs> oh, Lord, Jesus, help Andy Steiger, man. Like, oh, Lord, I, I just... I pray that you would just do a work in this guy's heart. I mean, you know, and then and he'd just be going on right about, you know what, you know what a terrible person I am and how much I need the Lord sort of thing. <laughs> and then he'd be like, "Oh, oh, Andy, uh, didn't didn't see you were there." This this has that sort of flavor to it, but not funny. Mm. That that this kind of prayer, like, "Hey, you're all racist," and I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm the I'm the good guy. You're you're all messed up, and kind of this like sure hope that you're not like 
this sort of thing. So in other words, it's like, here's her ideology of how she sees the world and you need to fit into that ideology. But it's interesting. So, I mean, when you look at the prayer, think about the kind of person that she thinks is okay. Mm. And, and I wonder how many white people fit the category that she outlines is, is the, is, is the ones that she doesn't want to hate. For example, in the prayer, uh, who? So, what white person has struggled against racism their whole lives? Who who would fit that category? Who has stood vigil for weeks outside of jails where black women are killed? Again, who fits that category? Mm. Who has showed up at Charlottesville, Ferguson, Baltimore, and Pasadena to take a stand against racism and police brutality? How many have have done that? Uh, what white person bears scars from fighting white supremacy? Yeah. Uh, and, and which one, which white person would fit all of those that would not warrant her hatred? No, when I listen to this and read this prayer, um, the first thing I feel is much like Troy, right? I'm just like, you know, uh, I have sympathy for her. I can't say that, you know, my experience in Canada has been different. Um, I, I know there's been some talk about Asian hatred and things like that. In fact, uh, yeah, so we've got a pretty interesting bunch here. Here's a, here's a guy adopted from... And a white American. <laughs> a white American, <laughs> right? South Korean immigrant and an adoptee from Jamaica. And, uh, it's like the start of a really good joke. <laughs> <laughs> we should all walk into a bar, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, m- my experience has been quite different in Canada too. I mean, um, and, and I've kind of had to work through my own racism that I brought over from Korea because... Mm. Growing up, all the exposure that I had to the Western world was through Hollywood. So I came to Canada with, you know, certain preconceived notions of what white people are like, what black people are like. First Nations people, you know, they weren't even a category in my mind. I didn't know what to do with them, you know, know, those Mm -hmm. kinds of things. And over the years, you know, those things have become more nuanced and whatnot. Um, But, you know, like I, I read a prayer like this and what I want to do immediately is... Tell me more. Tell me where, why you're saying this. What is the hurt, right? Yeah. Um, what made you so weary that you are, as a Christian, praying a prayer like this? Yeah. So that's my first reaction. The second reaction that I had was, again, like this is the kind of the mixed feeling that you alluded to, Andy, right? Because I read this, and I understand the defense, Dr. Shaniqua... Wakabars, her defense is that this is modeled after those imprecatory psalms, which, by the way, um, there there aren't actually a psalm that is entirely imprecatory, but there are portions mm-hmm. of different psalms that are imprecatory. Um, yeah, that's a good point. And, and uh, but what what is very striking to me is her prayer to God to harden her heart. Right. Yeah. You know, like I understand this comes from this kind of uh, her anger towards certain kinds of white people that she's thinking of. Not every white person, but certain kinds that she's thinking of. But but that but that's my question. Just just to jump in there, Steve. Yeah. 
isn't that almost every white person? I mean, I already showed, I already just gave you a quick mm -hmm. definition of who would not fit in it. But I mean, who measures up to that? What white person actually would measure up to that, Steve? I, I guess what I'm thinking is the the proportion of it doesn't seem to matter a whole lot to me. When I when I read it, she is calling out a particular type of white people. Um, I, yes, I I, I would have to agree with you. Sweep. It is I, a pretty big it. general sweep. I agree. It, it's there are probably very many white people that actually fit the bill, but nonetheless, there is a group that she is particularly going after. Um, but when I, when I when I read that. This is actually rather different from imprecatory psalms. Now, what's similar about this is her kind of raw emotions that come out in this. What's different is that in the imprecatory psalms, the psalter is always asking God to carry out his justice. Mm -hmm. Right here, what she is asking for is, you know, in, in at least in her kind of weary state, she's like, harden my heart, help me hate these people. Yeah. That that's not a call for justice. That is almost a call for permission, right? In fact, she uses that word somewhere. I, I, I don't know if I heard it in this prayer or in one of her uh, writings, but she almost asks for this prayer, uh, sorry, permission to hate uh, these, these particular types of white people. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, I thought Mike Winger kind of put it well. I'm just going to paraphrase it. He says something to the effect of, you know, if your fight for racism uh, actually calls for hatred towards other people, then it's not penetrated by gospel, by the gospel enough, you know, because Jesus called us to love our enemies. And I'd love to, uh, it's, I wouldn't necessarily say it's pushback, but give you some perspective. Um, mm. one, of the, one of the things I've seen, uh, specifically in the black community, um, black Christians, when that statement comes up, um, if mm -hmm. your you know if your fight for racism causes more division, where you're starting to really see this kind of this level of weariness, mm -hmm. is when that is that when people raise up certain concerns and they're met with that response rather than a listening ear, mm -hmm. because like you like you said, as a Christian, I can look at this just on you know I can we could unpack it theologically, you know, we could, mm -hmm. and, it, and it's not too difficult to do that. But where I find a lot of people are having a hard time is people are not willing to sit long enough to have um, a relationship basis with some people. And really, right. like you said, tell me more. I want to hear where this is coming from. And I feel like there must have been, there had to have been a conversation between Sarah Bessie and Dr. Shaniqua outside of this prayer to get, because for those who don't know, Sarah Bessie is a white woman, right? And so uh, for me, you know, I just, wanna, I just want our listeners to understand that as well, that I'm not okaying this prayer by any means. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that is, is leading to a lot of frustration in evangelical circles, in Christian circles, is people want to, want to stand on the word. They want to tell you what the word says and how to deal with it, mm -hmm. but oftentimes are feeling it's being dismissive to what they've what they've experienced to what they've gone through because there's no relationship there and you just want to you really just want to silence me with the word because you know to a certain degree I'm gonna listen to you because I ultimately I don't I'm not trying to go against the, what the Bible's saying but we've all been there 
where we know I know exactly what the Bible says right now, which is why I'm not going to read it right now, because <laughs> I don't need all that conviction right now, right? And I think especially as like people in ministry, you know, like I, I had a person just the other day say some craziness to me, and I know what my flesh wanted to do. I know exactly what my flesh wanted to do. But it's that level of like being com- really being compelled by the Holy Spirit and being compelled by the Word of God that you know is on your lips and is on your heart. You can't get away from it. But I also need to have a place with where I think with my wife where I can talk to her. I'm like, babe, this is what I ended up doing, but this is what I wanted to do. <laughs> and I'm just grateful that the Lord has had a hold of me in that moment. Guys, I think that this is such an important topic, especially in the area of apologetics, because I think if I were to critique apologists or within, you know, and and let me just use that broadly within evangelical circles, what most people want to do is they want to attack something like this. They want to attack the prayer. They want to attack Dr. Shaniqua, that sort of thing. And, And you're right in that listening and trying to understand <clears throat> tends to be something that we will do last, if at all. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I have definitely learned doing this ministry with Apologetics Canada and just and, and pastoring in general is it's so easy to forget that we're dealing with a broken world full of broken people. Yeah. And that when you hear these sorts of prayers, it's a reminder you're you're dealing with a broken person mm-hmm. that that is you know that is coming out in in pain, it, you know, and and you're 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 getting an understanding of what's going on in their soul, which which redirects I think and should direct how we engage with this person, particularly with regard to the idea of reconciliation mm-hmm. as we're helping people to reconcile with God as we're helping people to reconcile with one another. And I would argue that Dr. Shaniqua has some serious reconciliation work that is going on and needs to go on. Now, doesn't though that concern you though, that this concerns me that she is a speaker. She's a writer. She is a leader so that in that in that end, and this is something I feel like we've got to address, there is an ideology that I can't help but feel is that she's seeking to communicate through mm. this prayer. That it's that it's more than just a prayer of here's what I'm feeling. It's a prayer of here's what you should be thinking. Yeah. I don't know. Am I wrong, guys? And and I can unpack that more, but it's it's very political. It, it really is. And this, and this is why I was saying earlier, this feels more like a poem than it actually feels like a prayer. Um, because there's some things within creative freedom that we give allowance to, you know, naturally. Um, you just listen to any music today. Music today in a lot of ways is very, is very political. You know, um, it, it has been shown and proven that if you can get a big time artist uh, to endorse you, your ratings go up. That's just the that's just the way it goes. And so, when I as I read this this prayer, I I see the poetic value to it. I see the poetic, almost rhythm to it, and the po- poetic energy to it. Because to even imply that the Lord would 
allow something like that is completely misunderstanding of who of who Christ is and isn't a pursuit of of reconciliation. And so that's just it for me. That's where I see it as this is a political statement of I'm sick and tired of y'all white folks. <laughs> like and and that's dare I say that's not that's not enough. Well, I'm wondering is it not concerning to you? See like I guess part of me wonders or gets concerned that more people actually aren't troubled by this. Because I wonder if this was a prayer, I wonder how much news action you would see if it was a prayer that said, dear God, help me to hate Asian people. Mm. How dare you? (laughs) (laughs) Dear God, help me to hate, you know, uh, indigenous people, First Nations people. Mm -hmm. Help me, Lord, to hate black people. Lord, help me to hate, and you put any mm-hmm. number of people in there. How much action would that receive? Oh, it would be shut down right away uh, in a lot of ways. And um, uh, there is a kind of a greater awareness of how, especially African Americans, right? I mean, she, she's just, she, she'll tell you in her defense that she's one generation removed from sharecropping. Mm-hmm. Right, and so sharecropping for those of you who are not uh, familiar with was a practice that basically kept African Americans still in slavery after the Civil War. Mm-hmm. So you know, plantation owners they lose their labor force, so they need their labor force, and African Americans who are freed from slavery they need work. So what they end up doing is they. Uh, rent a small plot of land and they also rent equipment and things like that to, you know, um, grow crops and then they take a share of it and give the rest to the landlord kind of thing. But just the way this was practiced, while some uh, African Americans actually built wealth from that to move on from their former life as slaves, um, a lot of people basically stayed in um, effective slavery after mm-hmm. that. Anyway, she's just one generation removed from that, right? And so um, there, there is a kind of a growing awareness of, okay, you know, like that, the, the impact of slavery is still with us today. Um, and so I think that's, against that context, I think people are a bit more willing when they hear a prayer like this to... Maybe maybe like giving her a pass isn't the best way to put put it, but well, it's it's playing off this the playing off of white guilt, you know. It it's playing off of this idea that mm-hmm. nowadays there's a lot of white people who just who have been put in a position to just I'm just gonna feel guilty. I you know what I deserve this. I deserve this, you know. And and then they'll couple that with then what's called white fragility, where people are saying white people can't handle hearing these sorts of things. And, and so when you play off of this white guilt thing of like, you're going to tell me, like I said, like you're one tweet away from getting canceled. Yeah. And, and that's my, and that's my point. It just continues the racism. It continues the divide now, instead of, you know, it just racism, just pendulum swings and it's going in all number of direction. And guys, let me just point this out by the way, what does white person even mean? Mm-hmm. Now, honestly, in in the United States and Canada, that is so multicultural, we've got people here from New Zealand, Australia, from Europe, uh, 
from Iceland? What does white person mean? It's just really fascinating to me that, you know, as an Asian, right, when I come to Canada uh, and somebody mistakes me for a Chinese person, or typically I got Japanese for one reason or another. Um, I remember my sister even told me, yeah, you kind of do look Japanese. I'm like, you're my sister. How can you tell me that? (laughs) But but yeah, but when somebody mistakes me for some other nationality from East Asia, um, you know, I get a little bit irked by that. I'm not like super offended or anything like that, but I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not Chinese. I'm, I'm Korean, right? I'm yeah. the same way, like, oh, you must be from the Congo. I'm like, excuse me, I'm very much <laughs> Jamaican. Where, where, did you get, where did you get that from? Uh, it's your bone structures. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> um, but, but isn't it? Oh, yeah. Steve, Steve, can I highlight on? Well, maybe you're, maybe you're going somewhere with that, but I can't mm-hmm. help but highlight this for a moment. That, that racism is all around us, sadly. And we like racism is within the black community. It's within the Asian community. It's in the white community. Listen, the jokes that we told were never racist. When I was a kid growing up, we never told racist jokes about Asians or black people. It was about white people. And particularly any any white person knows this. How do you make fun of white people? Well, you point at Polish people. It, those those Polish people. And listen, if you're Asian, you know exactly who's on the lowest Asian totem pole. Uh, am I right? And 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 those Asians that are at the top. And the same goes with the black community. And and it's it's interesting because there is that sort of um, let me see if I can connect this because where I was going earlier was you know like yeah I I'm Korean I'm not Japanese I'm not Chinese and and it does bother me a little bit when people mistake me for it. I mean, there are honest mistakes, whatever, right? But nobody cares when we group all of white people together and call them white, whether they're German. I mean, when I first came to Canada, honestly, I couldn't tell you the difference between an Italian and a German to save my life. I still can't. (laughs) But... But it's like that, and and to your point, Andy, that there is racism everywhere, and that's true, and that's what I said earlier, is I actually carried my own racism to Canada with my preconceived notions of white people, whatever that means, and black people, whatever that means, right? Because even when you look at black people, we say black, we use a single word, but it's actually a very diverse group, right? Same thing with Again, what does that mean, black people? Right, and and so it's a very diverse group. But here's the thing: like, you go to Korea, for example, you'll find racism there, right? Because you you have, uh, you know, workers from say you know Vietnam or or India or some other place, right? Um, they get mistreated too, and it's it's actually very much on the sort of the public kind of consciousness in Korea right now that that you know we we need to stop mistreating foreign workers right and you ask an average korean person what they think of a uh, of the japanese people they i mean it depends on who you ask but the farther like the older you get they tend to have more negative views because my grandparents grew up during the japanese colonial period in korea you know and, and so there is that kind of history there the, the sort of the bitter feelings that still kind of linger uh chinese people will very much think the same thing about Japan 
and Korean people will think the same about the Chinese. It, it just goes all around. On that note, by the way, here's just anecdotal, just evidence of this uh, that I found fascinating. My time in China, uh, good luck finding a Japanese car. Mm. Uh, and for a long time, post-World War II in the United States, good luck finding a Japanese car. And, and my grandfather, to his dying day, refused to buy uh, a, a Japanese car, right? Because mm. because of the war in China today, they still they still haven't like forgiven that. Like, and I'm not kidding. If you go there, you're going to see German American cars. You're not going to see Japanese vehicles. Why? Because they're still upset with each other. Here, what I love about Christianity is the fact that there is something that unites all of us that has nothing to do with ethnicity or anything like that. So I always go back to the book of Ephesians where uh, the author is talking about how Jesus, who is himself our peace, right, broke down the wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. And you read Romans, Paul is all about, right, you guys are now brothers, Jews and Gentiles, because in the early church, this was a huge problem. Galatians. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and Galatians too, Galatians 3.28. There's neither Jew nor Greek, right? Male or female. Like all of these socioeconomical distinctions that we put up. Like what does it, what does it matter if you're rich or poor, right? Uh, salvation right. is by grace, and that's what defines you. What defines you now as a Christian has nothing to do with what you have. It has everything to do who you are and who you are in Christ. In Christ, and who you are is tethered to the person of Christ. Right. right? We belong to the same household that bears Christ's name, and that's what reconciles, Steve. Amen, brother. You're absolutely right, and that's, I guess, what upsets me, especially yep. when we see somebody like this that starts building up that wall of hostility again that Jesus broke down. Mm-hmm. And I think, and and to your point. This is where I find people, um, again, to offer some perspective, this is where a lot of people are like, oh, well, you're telling me not to be, not to have, like, celebrate my culture. You're telling me not to be happy about being black or white or Asian or whatever it is. I was like, no. But from a biblical standpoint, your identity is, should not be rooted in your blackness, in your whiteness, in your being Asian, I don't know how to properly, how I was going to properly say that. Um, You, because ultimately those things will pass away. They will. Those things will always have the potential to divide you. And that goes for anything. I I love being Jamaican. I love um, going through my DNA and looking at, you know, my background but yeah. if my background and my DNA and my race and my color doesn't point me to the designer mm. of all of those things, if my identity isn't reconciled in the one who created my diversity, yeah. then I'm trying to put my hope and faith in something, like I said, is going to continue to create division. Yeah, you know, amen to that. Um, that's the beauty of the gospel, right? Like, if you noticed... Listeners, I, I I hope you're catching this. What Troy earlier said was like we're we're trying to determine who is better by looking at our culture, our skin color, socioeconomic status, whatever, all of these things to see who's better or who's worse. But the beauty of the gospel is that salvation is by grace. 
And so there is actually, this is a great misconception in even Christian community, right? We sometimes talk about better Christians and worse Christians, right? If I read the Bible more, I'm a better Christian. If I pray more, I'm a better Christian, that sort of a thing. I would argue there is no such thing. There is no better Christian, worse Christian. You either are Christian or you ain't, right? It's That's just how it is. And so what that means is none of these things matter because we are saved by grace, because we belong to God's family by grace, right? So, so then what happens is all these things that we've been using before to measure who is better or worse, because our security is entirely outside of that now, it's in the person of Jesus, right? We can actually celebrate these things without any strings attached. We can we can celebrate Troy's, you know, dark skin, right? Or you we can celebrate, you know, my love for ramen noodles and using chopsticks, you know, like whatever it is. Pick any stereotype you want from my sort of perspective from where I come from. Like my Asian-ness is not my determining factor. It doesn't define who I am. Yes, it is a very important part of who I am. It is part of my identity. But identities are like that, right? You have different ones. You have to, I'm a father. I'm a pastor. I'm a, you know, like, you know, I I work with Apologetics Canada, but by far the most thing, most important thing is the fact that I'm an adopted son of the Most High. Everything else sits on top of that foundation. And that's why, you know, we want to continue to point people back to Jesus for the purpose of reconciliation. And this issue of racism, and let's be let's be honest, guys, is alive and well, sadly, in a broken world full of broken people. Uh, they need Jesus. We need Jesus to continue to break down, sadly, those walls of hostility They continue to be built up, and I pray that those walls would not be built up in our churches and those that are followers of Jesus, that they would be breaking those down and and seeking reconciliation. I, You know, when I was reading this prayer, one of the things that immediately jumped in my mind, I don't know about you guys, was um, a teacher of the law who comes and tests Jesus and says, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what do you say? And he says, well, I think you should love God and love people, right? Love the Lord your God, right? With all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. He he parrots back what he hears Jesus continue to teach. Leviticus 6, sorry, Deuteronomy 6, Leviticus 19. And, but then what does he say, right? But wanting to justify himself, he asks, who's my neighbor? Right? I mean, it's racism, plain and simple. Who do I have to love, Jesus? Yeah. And then what does Jesus do? He tells him a parable of the Good Samaritan where he throws racism on its head. Yeah. And and instructs to show mercy. And and we can't get into all of the stuff with this prayer because I mean there's so much more to to unpack. One of the things that's going on in this prayer is critical race theory, but we don't have time to get into that. However, uh, this is a, a a shameless plug for a literary expedition that we're going to be doing, where we're going to be reading some some literature around critical race theory. I want to invite you to join Troy, Steve, and myself as we talk on that subject. I think it's important to understand, again, the ideologies that are behind prayers like this. And there's another one too, guys, another ideology that's going on here that I don't even think we got time to unpack this, but we need to recognize it because it's growing. 
And that's progressive Christianity. Now, I had my wife bring that up to me the other day. She's like, man, you know, Andy, what do you think about progressive Christianity and so pervasive, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, progressive what? Now, listen, I work with Apologetics Canada, but that doesn't mean that I know everything. I don't, guys. I do not. And I, I was like, progressive what? Like, I don't even know what. I'm like, could you define for me progressive Christianity? Like, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. Ends up, well, and then, and then I like a couple conversations later, I'm having with somebody else. Another lady asks me or starts talking about progressive Christianity. I'm like, again, what? Like, where, where is all this progressive Christianity? How am I, how am I unaware of all this progressive Christianity? Right. Well, it ends up that it's got a heavy feminist undergirding to it. And so there's a lot of ladies right now that are engaging with this in literature. So it's not surprising that with Sarah Bessie's book in these prayers, that there is a strong progressive Christian undertone. Yeah. And that's what I mean, again, by that ideology that's being promoted through this prayer. Well, and, and I can't help but think maybe maybe on a different podcast, because we don't got time to get into it today, we, we just need to unpack what progressive Christianity is yeah, and, and help people, because I've had to do my own digging in that, because I'm, you know, maybe it's the PhD in me, right, that goes, I, ne- I need that term defined clearly, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. we'll, we'll save that for another show. If I were to leave with, with one thing that just seems to be glaring me in the face, Matthew 5:43 and I think we all need this reminder regardless of what side you're on. Starting at 43 it says, "You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Do not even tax, elect, tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It doesn't matter what side you think you're on, whether you think you're righteous or you're one of those people who's like, man, I'm unworthy, I'm unrighteous. It says he's, the Lord sends rain on both, we are all going to feel the gravity and the magnitude of Christ, his, his justice. And so that doesn't remove us. That doesn't say just be a passerby and, and say that we have, you know, well, I have no responsibility. No, it means to actively love your neighbor, pray for those who persecute you. And it doesn't say pray on them. It says pray for them, that they might find Christ, that they may be reconciled. But I would add, you should also be praying that the Lord change your heart towards them, change your perspective of the situation. Because sometimes we will be knocking on the door of other people, asking them so bad to change when the Lord is really giving you an opportunity to extend grace that you have been given. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode. We pray you are challenged and encouraged. As always, make sure to like and subscribe to the AC Podcast on your preferred streaming platforms and leave us a comment. Hit us up on Facebook or Instagram. We would love to hear from you. As Andy mentioned in this episode, please make sure to sign up for the new literary expedition as myself, Andy, and Steve discuss critical race theory. 
Spots are limited and they are almost completely full. So please make sure to sign up. We would love to see you there. We would love to join you. And as always, love God, love people.